This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode from For Tech Sake. In our last episode, we spoke to serial entrepreneur Bobby Healy about MANA, an Irish startup that is really becoming a global leader in drone delivery services. In our interview, we covered lots more about the drone industry in Ireland, as well as getting more detail on MANA's rollout plans across Ireland. We also discussed some of the challenges of launching technologies like this, such as social acceptance and job displacement, and we found out more about the sustainability of drone services versus other alternatives. And finally, we got Bobby's very candid take on autonomous vehicles on the road and why he doesn't see this as very viable. If you want to jump straight into those bits that weren't included in the main episode, we'll give you some timestamps to signpost you in the show notes. Otherwise, enjoy. So, Bobby, thanks a million for joining us today. And to just kind of give us um, some, an opening prelude, what about a potted history of MANA, how the company got started? Because I know you have a rich background as an entrepreneur, and this is uh, one of a series of companies that you founded yourself. Yeah, um, I'm a software guy. Usually this is my first hardware business. Uh, this is my fifth business. Um, and Prelude to Mana, I mean, very clearly, if anyone lives in Dublin or, or, or any suburb, really, they know how difficult it is to get home delivery of anything, bag of chips, uh, hot food, groceries, whatever it is. Very unreliable, very unpredictable. And today it's raining. Uh, when it rains, it compounds the problem. So there's not enough output in terms of delivery drivers or riders. So it's just a really difficult problem to solve because the economics of road-based delivery with humans really don't work well outside of very dense urban locations. So that was the background to starting the business. And being a, you know, being a tech guy, uh, you can solve it with technology, this particular problem. And in, in our case, the technology happens to be flying robots, but it could be anything, but, but flying robots seem to be the best way to solve big unit economics problem for a gigantic industry. And is that why you focus the trial starting with Oran Moore and then Balbriggan and now there's a planned trial in Blanchardstown? It's to focus on those areas that you think are underserved because they're outside of the densely populated urban environments, but they are well populated areas themselves with people with these needs? Yeah, Blanchardstown will be our fourth. We actually started in Moneygall uh, during the first COVID lockdown. So small population. The, the reason we've chosen... Moneygall and then Oran Moore, then Balbrig and then Blanche's population sizes, ever ever increasing scopes of operation. So Moneygall being less than a thousand people, Oran Moore ten thousand, Balbrig and thirty-five thousand, and Blanchestown one hundred twenty thousand residents, thirty-eight thousand air codes, and we chose those you know progressive levels of difficulty like video game. Uh, the, everything changes as you, as you increase the scale in something so operational and so complex. So number of aircraft increases to serve the more uh, more people and with increased number of aircraft comes more complexity in airspace management and turnaround times and just general operation things. So this is all about getting the, I'd say the muscle memory or the muscle strength of operating 500 to 1,000 deliveries a day and that's what Blanchettstown would be. It isn't specifically that Blanchettstown is the best, most in need of delivery. It's that it's the most representative 
of very large European suburb that you know all of them have the same problem you, you can't get reliable delivery anywhere in, in a European suburb so Blanche will be the world's largest operation of its type um, and it just it just by pure coincidence it happens to be in Dublin and Blanchetown itself, if you look at the ratio of restaurants to population, you know, takeaway restaurants to population, it, it happens to be our best suburb for home delivery. Um, so it's a, it's a really nice example. And we think it's really probably the, the last example we'll call a trial where we're still learning. We still there's certain data points we need to collect um, around customer behavior and so on. And when we do that, I think we'll no longer call it. I mean, we don't really call Blanche a trial. We don't see us ever leaving Blanche. We think it's going to be a permanent operation, but there's still things to learn that that uh, that extra volume and that kind of, I would say not better consumer, but just a more, a more restaurant-rich consumer will show us. Are you already thinking of where to next? Because I know at Blanchardstown, um, I don't know if they're, the drones are up in the air yet, but a lot of pre-planning was done in advance. You got the clearance from the Irish Aviation Authority. You you spoke to the Blanchetown Shopping Centre stores and stuff like that to set up the hub yeah. there. Are you already looking at the next uh, location? Yeah, we know them all. I mean, uh, in terms of ambition, we want 2024 to be essentially all of suburban Dublin, um, especially my house. Uh, you know, it's... I've built this business for me. I, I want I want drone delivery. And I'm just joking. Yeah, Blanche is the first big one. And, and yeah, we do want to roll out pretty much all of suburban Dublin and probably Cork and a, and a handful of other locations as well. Ireland is our home turf. It's kind of well suited to what we're doing because we have proxy weather. Uh, so we're solving that other problem as well. And we have, as you mentioned, a very forward-looking aviation authority here that, that really wants new technologies and companies with new technologies to try out their uh, or make their efforts in Ireland first. So we have a really nice environment here for doing this type of thing. And we're ready, though. I mean, there's there's obviously still things to learn, but we, we consider ourselves production ready pretty much now. And, and of course, next year, it will be about scaling and Hopefully, we'll, we'll reach about a million Irish consumers next year. And I suppose what you've seen from MANA in, in Ireland being a good test bed for these drones hasn't gone overlooked by other companies. There's, there's this incredible Irish drone industry emerging and it's got native players, but it's also attracting international players as well. Why do you think the country became a bit of a hope for this activity? And do you think MANA has actually had an influence on that? Like, we're a trailblazer for sure, but we're not, I mean... We're not the first. I mean, my, one of my investors, my early year seed round was Irlandia Aviation, Declan Ryan's uh, investment vehicle. And I had been speaking to him and his team for quite some time before I started Manus. And I noted at the time that a lot of those conversations and thinking around drones as a technology for various different use cases was already there. And the IAA, the Irish Aviation Authority, were very much thinking about it. Uh, so I wasn't by any means the first, and I weren't the first to, to be thinking that, that you know we could be doing something in Ireland. I think we're definitely the first to commercialize it and to really get scale into it and bring a lot of investment. Like we've raised $45 million so far. Uh, we have a big team, 120, 110 people in the team. We're, if we're successful, and there's always an if because it's a very tough space, 
uh, we're building for worldwide scale, um, which is just the nature of what we're doing. It uh, doesn't mean we're different than some of the smaller companies that are doing other just equally important things, but just maybe smaller at a commercial level. But there's certainly a lot of activity around it. And activity comes from two key elements. One is we have a business-friendly government, right? A government that, that is policy-driven to support small business and, and risk-takers, uh, adventurers, you might call them. We have Enterprise Ireland that really are, are an asset that a lot of Irish people don't understand how powerful it is uh, to help us internationalize the business, help us get access to markets around the world, and, and just create a worldwide presence for a tiny company that, that, that any other startup anywhere else in the world would lick their lips at the opportunity that Enterprise Ireland gives us. So, so from a government policy and support point of view, that's driving a lot of the innovation here in Ireland. And then, and then of course, the IAA, and even though the IA or the Irish Aviation Authority, the in the name, they actually work under European regulations. You know, EASA is the European Aviation Safety Agency, uh, and IAA would be a leader in that space. So, you, oftentimes you do something in a small market, market like Ireland, you don't get much street cred for it in the bigger markets. But 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 the IAA would be considered one of the world's top regulators, and so. Any license we get here, any progress we make here would be considered very favorably in, in other markets. So it, it just happens to be, as it often does with Ireland, we punch above our weight. And as we do in my past businesses with travel technology, we were a leader as a number of uh, Irish businesses are, Datalex, Openjaw, you know, WebRes, you can go through a bunch. You know, if you go to the worldwide stage for travel technology, Ireland is the leader. Um, and it's now the leader in drone delivery as well, or, or well, maybe not the leader, but second place. Um, and our only disadvantage is the amount of capital. And you mentioned, um, you know, scaling ahead and like leveling up as if it was um, games and like thinking of bigger locations and things. And I'm just thinking about the use cases as well. Are you thinking to other things outside of delivery? Like is delivery the real revenue generator or is this your, your level one, shall we say, before the drones go into other industries and areas? Well, there's t- two ways to think about it. Um, we consider that we're building an infrastructure layer for suburban communities. That's that's what we're building. So drone delivery as a service for any application that that is is valid for it. And we, so we want every use case. We want pharmacy. We want critical medicine. We want you know everything from coffee to to blood. Uh, maybe that's not a good graph there, but we, we don't. There's nothing really we we think is outside of our scope. In terms of we can improve the world by making it fast to move these things around but when you look at use cases and, uh, and size of market because size of market or tam as, as the investors call it um is important and food delivery is a 300 billion dollar industry uh so it's it underpins volume it underpins adoption frequency everything right so Behaviorally, we deliver to 38% of our more, more than once a month. And same again in Balbriggan, and we expect that to be closer to 50% of Blanchardstown. You only do that with things that people need on a daily basis. And, and in our case, that tends to be grocery, takeaway food, even coffee is a huge item for us. So it's important when you build technology that, particularly infrastructure, because this is atoms, not bits, right? Software is easy, you build it, you push it out. and 
you know, it's it's zero marginal cost uh, per unit. But with hardware, it's an infrastructure. So there's there's you know boots on the ground. There's manufacturing. There's upfront capex. There's all sorts of stuff that has to be paid for before you make your first red cent. And so you look for high volume, high utilization uh, type use cases, and, and and that's why we've chosen. It's not it's not that we think that the best use case for drones is coffee or, or food. It's just that it's the one that underpins the economics of the infrastructure. And once you have the infrastructure, once you build the, the road and, and so on, you can move anything across. And we, we absolutely see ourselves doing uh, medicine. We see ourselves doing postal and, and you know parcel delivery services. But all of those things are smaller businesses than the first one we're going for. Do you see military or policing use a possibility? No. Um, I mean, no. Policing is well served with other technologies there's there's definitely some issues there around chinese technology and, and surveillance and, and the safety of using because let's face it the best drones are dgi drones right but and there's a trust issue there and i think that's getting wider and wider um so while yes i love the idea of drones for policing it's not an area we want to get in i mean for us it's the opposite of that right we have no surveillance technologies we've no customer data we've you know when we fly across a community we want the community to know that that you know there's nothing recorded we know nothing about the people we fly over and and we don't want to compromise that with with use cases that you know as good as they are they, they would conflict with our own values and then in military if we had the resources, I would like nothing better than to be helping Ukraine defend itself, quite honestly. But we, we don't have the resources. There's other better funded companies to do that. Um, but we would 100% make our technology available uh, for that. But it hasn't happened yet. I, I don't think it'll happen. Either. And like with a background in software, I'm sure you're well familiar with the idea that things can and will fail. So what's it like now working in the hardware area where, you know, planning for failure can mean planning for a drone falling out of the sky and potentially causing damage and stuff like that. What's been the learning curve yeah. there? Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, I don't think you could find a more difficult business to build because we're, you know, we're hardware, which is already not a great idea. It's difficult to build hardware because it's an iterative process and, software you can iterate very quickly it's just fix compile debug fix compile build push um with hardware particularly flying hardware and, and flying hardware that flies over people's heads uh is a different process it's very very slow iterative process so we would when we do a software update we have to put a thousand flights on the aircraft before we are okay with that. And those thousand flights take weeks to do. Each flight has to be documented, audited, and flown with a, with a pilot that observes the flight. Now, our aircraft are autonomous, so normal flights don't take that. But for, for testing and retesting changes to our software stack, it's very it's a, it's a heavy tax. Um, and that's all about safety, right? It's all about meeting the minimum require, safety requirements that we have to get our operational license and, and just ethically um, you, you just can't go fast in this space you can't you know move quickly and break things that's obviously not the way it's going to work for us so it's really difficult but the good side of that is because it's so difficult um, it's not for the faint hearted so there's not going to be a lot of uh, 
startups, you know, and smart people coming after us because it takes, we're at this five years now, we're a pretty good team, well-funded, and we're only really ready now with a product that's ready to roll out. And I don't think if we did it again, we'd do it much quicker. We might do it in four years and not five kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we budget for what's called 10 to the minus six catastrophic failures per operational hour. And that's aviation, right? And then we have a parachute on board that if everything goes disastrously wrong, the parachute takes over and shuts the power off to the motors and, and takes you down to the ground gently. And that's designed to, the aircraft is designed to fold on impact, so break really easily, like an egg almost. So when it does hit the ground, uh, then it doesn't cause any injury or any any significant injury. So that's the way you have to design in this space. It's crazy it is. So we lose a lot of aircraft. We have a bog in, in Offaly that we rent from board in the and it's our test site. And we regularly and intentionally crash or deploy parachutes there as part of our impact testing and, and body, you know, it's chaos when something goes wrong. You can't predict how it's going to go wrong. So you have to simulate things going wrong first in a software simulator uh, and then in, in real life. And real life is hard to, to, to map onto a simulator, but we, we spend a lot of money and a lot of time there. So, you know, it, it's a game of probabilities that there's no one would be honest if they said things won't fail at some point. Um, and so when you build this business, you build it, I would say in a crawl, walk, run fashion, right? So crawl was during COVID lockdown when there was nobody outdoors. So there was no ground risk and walk is kind of what we're doing now where we're carefully moving forward. We're, we're taking small steps, but steps that unlock next levels of difficulty without needing to go really fast and open loads of towns. And like, if you look at what we've done, each time we grow to a bigger town, we close down the town before us so we can put all of our energy into making this one town perfect and, and obviously safe as well. Uh, and run only comes when you truly believe that you're a 10 to the minus eight um, operation and that you're completely safe such that even if you did a million or 10 million flights a day, you're not taking risk on behalf of anyone else. And and the nice thing as well about that is we do have audits by the, you know, people from Cologne, from EASA and from IAA that look at our operation inspector regularly audit us. So the, the general public can, I suppose, rest assured knowing that we're not marking our own scorecards. Um, and, I, and I think overall this industry, like really the players in this industry are us, Amazon and Google. Uh, these are companies, whereas we're a startup, those are two companies that don't take reputational risk um, if they can avoid it. So I think people can feel pretty good about this industry as we scale. There's no, it's not going to be one that can get away with taking risk. And it's really interesting to hear how companies leveraged the crisis of COVID into an opportunity, like taking that as an opportunity mm -hmm. to to do extra trials. But now with the Blanchardstown trial, uh, the plan is for it to be like an all weather uh, service. I'm sure yeah. that's, yeah. especially in Ireland, going to be a huge challenge to get over. How on earth are you going to deal with that? Actually, it's it's not really. It's just, it's just we haven't had the time. Like you triage when you're a startup, uh, well, when you're any company, you're always triaging, right? Where do you spend your time? What do you do? We've never really, get all weather is just engineering. There's no rocket science to it. Uh, and primarily rain is easy. Um, it's just about, you know, making sure everything is covered and coded and, and then you have your IP rating. Rain is easy. 
Um, it affects efficiency a little bit, but not too much. Wind is difficult, not because of the controllability of the aircraft. You can fly in brutal weather with, a, with the type of design that we have. It's about energy. It's about how much energy do you need to fly into a strong headwind and get home safely with enough in the tank. And so that's about optimizing battery use and, and, and reducing the weight of the aircraft over time. And, and you don't focus on those things in the early days of an aircraft design. You focus on reliability, maintainability, manufacturability. And when you have all of those things in place, then you say, okay, now let's lose some weight because for every extra pound, you know, you carry, you lose, or you, know, you need extra energy, obviously, to carry it. And that's a recursive problem because as you get bigger, you need more battery and the battery itself is the heaviest object on the aircraft. So you, you cycle through a loop of, of or a process of, of weight reduction. And that's what we've done now. So that's why we're ready for Blanchardstown with our 383 aircraft, which will fly in 97% of Irish weather, which means we can fly on Mars or <laughs> Venus if we wanted to, you know, so. Uh, but it's not, that, it's not that hard a problem. It's just, it's just engineering and kind of time. And just in terms of, like you mentioned the when I asked about policing and you talked about how it's really important that people know that when the drones are flying over them that they're not recording anything or that, you know, that their privacy yeah. is protected and stuff. But they're still quite new, I think, and in terms of people seeing them out and about and stuff. What do you think it's like for in terms of social acceptance of like drones just flying about and buzzing about and things like that? Because they do have that real distinct like fly noise yeah. as well. A drone is a bad word. I mean, drone is a bad word. Uh, you know, it started off in Afghanistan, bad word. Then Gatwick Airport, bad word. And and so we definitely have that to overcome. But what we've learned is that, well, you know, f first of all, you know, our operation is no, there's no noise, noise issues. There's no privacy issues, no safety issues. We're commercial operators. So we, we obey the rules, right? And where where drones have gotten an unfair bad name is just bad actors, right? But you can go to Harvey Normans and buy a DJI drone for seven hundred quid that will fly eight kilometers in a straight line and no way to find out who's flying it. And people can abuse that as they do. And they've shut down Dublin Airport and they've flown into their neighbors' back gardens and looked in the window. They've, you know, if you can break a rule, it's been broken with drones. But commercial operators don't do that because you know, the IAA police that and you'd be a fool to, to break those rules. You don't need to break those rules. So if you survey, as we did, a population before you go into the town and then you survey them after. So before you go in, you'll get 70% positive rating for drone delivery, 20% neutral, 10% negative. And after you go into the town, and again, we've done it six months after we've operated, you get 98% positive and 2% negative. And that's good. That's a pretty high number. You're not going to get many technologies that have that level. And the reason the number changes is because we answer all the questions just by flying. People know that it's not noisy. It's not really a problem. They know we don't fly and look in their windows. They know we don't disturb anything. And they also know we create jobs. I mean, every business that we power suddenly can access 100, 150,000 customers in three minutes. What business wouldn't want to do that? So we ultimately, even though we're high tech and tech usually destroys jobs or displaces them, we actually boost businesses in a big way. So, so it takes a little while for, you know, just because I say it doesn't mean people believe it, right? But when we actually operate, people see what actually 
we bring and then we get a very positive rating. And I actually wanted to ask about the the job creation slash displacement as well, because um, I believe that man is expected to publish data this year that will show that it's cheaper to use a drone for delivering food than, say, a guy in a car or a bike. But would like, is yeah. there a concern there that that's the job displacement, that those delivery guys are not going to go and yeah. suddenly yeah, start operating drones? Yeah, I got back any show. <laughs> I was on the McKinney show a few weeks ago and, and yeah, I'm very honest about it. Um, firstly, road delivery jobs, there's a lot of them and, and a lot of people depend on those jobs, particularly young people in cities. Um, and there's not so many of those jobs in suburbs. In fact, there's not enough of those people to, to go around. So firstly, the customer and the communities are underserved by road-based delivery. It's just not enough drivers, and particularly when it rains, it just doesn't work. So those businesses are constrained because they don't really have reliable delivery. That's the first part. The second part is those are not great jobs. I mean, you know, the, the people that do them probably like them because it's a source of income under their control, but they're dangerous. If you look at the data all around the world, including Dublin, a road delivery driver or cyclist is six times more likely to be involved in an accident than a normal driver. So we know that there's danger there. We know that there's injuries and, and deaths on the roads with this job, and it doesn't need to happen. And then finally, it is displacement because if you're a food delivery driver or cyclist and, and you're making whatever it is uh, an hour, the businesses that we're powering are going to be doubling or tripling their business. And you can you can be assured that that will mean restaurants and small family businesses are protected in a difficult environment by having all that extra business. And that will lead to other jobs, displaced jobs, but, but important and better jobs, I think. And then in terms of like advantages of drones as well as that, um, you know, are they more sustainable? And does that like... Does the sustainability yeah. kind of factor in the materials and the production themselves for the for the hardware? Yeah, yeah. So, so the way to think about that, there's there's the short answer and the long answer. Uh, they're obviously green because they don't produce any CO two. They're electric aircraft. Um, in terms of CO two, end to end CO two output for flight. So that's manufacturing, battery recycling, the whole thing. We're even more efficient than an electric bike. And the only thing that beats us is a bicycle. Um, and that's not just us, it's it's also our, our friends in Google's wing drone delivery product. In fact, they're even more efficient because they have a much lighter aircraft than we have. But with the amount of energy we produce for the entire life cycle is far less even than the electric bicycle. And the reason, by the way, if you're wondering why, is because the electric bicycle has to carry around a, a 10 stone or 12 stone rider. So it uses a lot more energy. And also the bike doesn't last as long. Whereas our, one of our aircraft will do 100,000 flights in its lifetime. Um, so it's, it's highly efficient in terms of the manufacturing cost, the CO2 cost of the manufacturing part. So the answer is yes, extremely green. And when you look at last mile, which is the space we're in, and you look at the climate goals of most big brands like the Coca-Colas, the Unilevers of this world, last mile is one of the most difficult things for them to solve. And that's where we can really help. And you're working with, air composites isn't it on the kind of improving the light yeah. weightness and it, like is it important for MANA like you mentioned about how good it is to have this growing industry here in Ireland that you're kind of connecting with mm -hmm. Irish companies that can help you on that journey yeah not just I mean Aero we've been working with them for years they make our airframe now and for our new aircraft they've made our new airframe which is an ultra light single piece carbon fibre 
very, very specialist aerospace grade uh, approach and, and they're unique. Like they're unique in the world for what they do, particularly for aerospace. And they're in Spiddle. I mean, I don't even can't find that in the map. Uh, <laughs> great bunch of people and a great our success story but we also use you know cable and harness for our cable harness we use an irish company i can't think of their name unfortunately does, does our wiring harness we get our pcbs made in ireland uh so we would be kind of think of us as half welsh half irish um uh, because we we did design and build our original aircraft in wales uh, but a lot of the components now, most of them are designed in Ireland and, and certainly most of them are manufactured in Ireland as well. That's not to say that at scale will still be in Ireland. You know, I think ultimately at scale will be in many countries, manufacturing, supply chain. It will get much more complex than that. But, but for sure, there's a number of companies that are underneath us that are a big part of the tech stack that we have that are all supported by either IDA or Enterprise Ireland in some way. And we talked a lot about MANA being kind of very focused on what it's doing in terms of the food delivery space being very important to it and uh, having to scale gradually as opposed to quickly just to ensure safety and stuff like that is important. But knowing your background, you're a serial entrepreneur, you've already founded another business alongside working on MANA. I wonder, would you ever be interested in autonomous vehicles on the road as opposed to in the sky? Is that something that has interested you as an entrepreneur at all? No. Uh, I looked at it. Um, I don't think it's viable. Um, apologies to all the road-based autonomous vehicle companies. It's just, it, it's surprising. It's much more difficult to do road-based autonomy than air-based autonomy because if you think about it, we just go up, across and down. Our, our technology problem is, you know, largely orchestration of simple components, whereas road-based autonomy needs perception. It needs LIDAR radar, vision, really, really deep AI and computer vision problems to solve a lot of hardware. So the the unit cost of, of GPU and of, of that type of LiDAR as well, it's just really, really expensive. And then the software development part is really, really difficult. And, and if you don't solve that perfectly and nobody has, then you have this really big human overhead of overseeing the little buggies when they get stuck or whatever. So the technology risk on that is there, which it's not there for us. And, and the regulatory risk is there, you know, very undefined, big risks. And then in the end, why would you want to wait 30 or 40 minutes for the little buggy to get to your house when the drone gets there in two minutes and 40 seconds? Like we're, 30% of our volume is hot coffee. Um, you, you're not going to get a buggy to deliver that. So the, the only area where there's an advantage to the buggy, which I think is will rescue them, is large grocery orders. So they can carry a lot more than we can carry. We're only we're only ever going to carry three and a half kilos would be our top and thirty liters of volume. So we're not going to do your weekly shop, but we can sure as hell do your convenience uh, shop. So if you if you think about that, all the sexy low hanging fruit high volume high frequency is us and all that's good for the ground-based robots is that grocery stuff so it, it maybe it's interesting but uh and I, certainly if 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 the regulatory world said drones wouldn't be allowed for whatever reason and, and, and there was some other reason that drones weren't going to work i might be interested in that because it's fun <laughs> uh but there's easier ways to build businesses and that's not one I would choose. 
That's really interesting. I appreciate your candor as well, Bobby. And thanks so much for your time today. It was a really interesting interview and I feel like I've learned a lot about how this drone industry works. So thank you so much. Where do you live? Oh, well, I'm in South Dublin and I believe I can now get some sort of medical supplies yeah. in South Dublin. <laughs> trim. I live That's in right. Trim. Yeah, from, from Google. <laughs> I live in Trim. Yeah, yeah. Go do something in need, Aye. please. You might be a while. No. You might be a while. <laughs> Apologies to everyone in Trim. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep lobbying. We'll keep lobbying you, Bobby. <laughs> Thanks Indeed. Thanks so much. Pleasure. For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by Elaine Burke and Jenny Darmody. Thank you to Hilary Barry for production, Matt Mahan and Dali for our graphics, Claudia Grandes for her social media support and all at the Headstuff team. You can follow us at For Tech's Sake Pod on your platform of choice or let us know what you think via fortechsakepod at gmail.com. As a Headstuff Plus community member, you get access to bonus content from across the network. So do check out some of our sister shows and give them your support. And tune in next week for our new episode. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.